Revelation chapter 19. My problem tonight with the message is we've got just a couple short verses to preach on, but I've got more pages of notes than I can get through in one evening. Now, only a preacher can do that, make something uh, that God took two verses to write and uh, spend all that amount of time to, to explain, all right? Tonight, we're talking about Armageddon. Armageddon, in this passage of Scripture, is called the Great Supper. And I like what one commentator said. It, in the book of Revelation, in the first part, we talk about the wedding feast. It's the Great Supper for the saints. But at the end of the chapter, it's the Great Supper of the sinners. They are what's being consumed. What a change in just a few verses you find within that chapter. We have come to sort of a, a high point when the coming of the Lord Jesus, and here we're going to see what he's, what he's accomplishing at that period of time in his life as he finishes off the Gentile kingdoms, and he sets up Israel and ruling and reigning for a thousand years, and he sets up his kingdom on this earth. A lot of things for us to consider and a lot of truths this is something that God has told us about in the Bible all the way from way in the Old Testament until here we are in the book of Revelation. Clearly hinted at, clearly defined, uh, characters revealed, and we're watching it unfold even in our lifetime. Um, one person uh, said that we're in the warm-up period of time as we get ready for that 70th week of Daniel, aren't we? Just watching things, and I know since I was a teenager, a boy, seeing things that are coming to pass, and you just think every day, the newspaper, that's how it could happen. That's, boy, just amazing in a lifetime. Every eye shall see him. How could that happen? Now that seems like a very easy thing to consider, isn't it? And uh, so this is a highlight for us tonight as we consider this whole 19th chapter. So let's go back in uh, Revelation 19, and let's start at verse 11 to sort of move into uh, the Armageddon passage. Re Revelation 19, verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were crowns, many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a, white, a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations." And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's what we preached on last week. And now we find as the Lord Jesus comes, he triggers Armageddon. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit upon them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against them that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him which he with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image." These both were cast into a lake of burning, uh, a fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Shall we pray? Lord, 
I pray that you'd help us as we look into these verses, that our hearts would be encouraged, challenged, and Father, may we understand. Give me the ability tonight, Lord, um, to grasp this big subject down in a simple way that we all can, can understand. Lord, may we take away from this, Father, the challenge spiritually that we need, not just the knowledge, but may it move us forward in our own walk with you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You notice uh, as we saw the Lord Jesus in verses 11 through 16 coming forward, we found that Jesus came on the white horse and he was dressed in white and he was dipped with the, the blood. And we said that this indicates not the blood of the lamb that he is going to have victory by blood, but it recognizes that he's going to tread the winepress of the wrath of God. And this is the blood that would slop up or fly up upon his garments as you would be treading out the winepress and the blood of the people that are being judged. But one thing as I was reading this week a little bit afresh, they said, do you notice that the people riding behind him are also in white, but there's no blood on their garments? For they are not the ones that fight. It is Jesus that fights. And the Bible says that he fights with that sword that comes out of his mouth and with, his, with the word of his mouth. And that sword is the word of God. And Jesus is the living word of God, for that is his name. And we talked about that much last week. One thing, lest I lose it in all the talking, and I'm going to stick it right up front in the message, I carry away from this passage personally. We find that victory comes to the Lord Jesus by the spoken word. He is the word made flesh, the power of his word. And it reminds you and me that if we're going to have victory in our life, it comes from a skillful use and understanding of the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy commandments. And Lord, teach me to know the word. And I would say tonight, Christians, if we individually or as a church, whichever way collectively we would put ourselves, would have victory in our generation, it will come in proportion. Listen, this is important to our knowledge and use of the word of God. And if there is something that this generation has become quite loose in is a very shallow understanding of the word of God. In my lifetime, I can't tell you how many thousands of times somebody trying to purport some idea that they want to convince me, they'll say, well, doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible? And they'll throw out some crazy phrase that's not in the Bible at all. But they say, I know it's got to be in there somewhere. You know, Christians, I'm the first one to say that I'm still memorizing and searching the Bible and getting a grasp on it. We all could say that. But, oh, we live in a society where our understanding the depths of the Word of God, our memorization programs, our reading of the Bible itself on a daily basis, our understanding and, and use of picking up this sword is so minuscule in relationship to other generations just before us. And I think this is, you talk about we need to have a patriot missile defense on America. Let's get out the Bible. And let's let the word of God come into our own hearts. This is our defense. This is our offense and defense right here. We say we believe it. We say amen to it. But let me ask you, how much time did you spend in the word of God this week? You know, that, uh, I, I've tried to prick at us a little bit during this, this time that we've all been out of schedule. A lot of us have had more time on our hands than ever. And yet, what is our relationship really been with studying the Word of God. Christians, it ought to convict us. It ought to challenge us. And I would, I would draw you to the last verse of the chapter. Look at Revelation 19, verse 21. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And so we find very clearly here, it's that sword. It's that sword. Uh, it bothers me that Christians come to church anymore without their sword. Um, I'm not against an electronic Bible. I really am not. I use my electronic Bible for a lot of different things. 
But I tell you what, there's no substitute for me in my marked Bible. There, there's just uh, to really get to know a Bible that I circle and I, and I, I draw arrows and all the rest. Uh, you, you get it however you want. But that you have a command of the Word of God. And if I preach to nothing else tonight, this is the key to victory in this chapter is the Word of God. And we need to be a people that understands that and be a little bit like that Berean church that searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. And that would be, make us a very healthy church in the end of this Laodicean period, in my opinion. Well, let's get to the subject at hand then and, and we'll begin to go. Let's look at verse uh, 17 of chapter 19. I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice. And saying to all the fowls that would fly in the midst of heaven, Come, gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Some writers would like to put the great supper of God. That word great could go in either place. It doesn't matter. It's a great supper and it's a great God. But we have a great supper mentioned here. And the birds are all invited to this, this, this great big place and we know it to be Armageddon. What is Armageddon? It's Armageddon is the place of the Valley of Megiddo. Many years ago, I had a chance to, to go to Israel, and I did get a chance to go to the Tell of, Mar, of Megiddo. A Tell is nothing more than a place where there used to be a city, and another city got built on that city, and another city got built on top of that city, and another city. And so eventually, where there you have a, 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 an area, it may have already been a little bit mounded up, but as you build up, it becomes quite a large area. And the tell or the place of Megiddo was a, a large commanding protruding area that formed at the mouth of the valley of Jezreel. So the valley of Megiddo or the valley uh, of the plain of Jezreel, uh, of Jezreel, it makes no difference which way you put it, was a very commanding place. This city... Uh, has a, quite a choice history all the way back to Solomon in different times. It was one of his chariot cities. And uh, there was a point in time where Megiddo was attacked. And one of the things that is interesting about Megiddo is that Megiddo just didn't seem to ever fall. And it wasn't until centuries later that the enemies finally found out that they had a secret water supply and they also had a secret tunnel that ran out thousands of feet way out outside and they could bring supplies in and out of that city for years and the enemies never even realized it. It is an amazing city. It has an interesting, rich uh, history. But as we were driving around Megiddo and the Valley of Jezreel, the um, tour guide said, I want you to notice something. And there were airplanes flying around, jets like we would have here. They were military jets. And he said, I want you to watch that military jet. And here comes a couple of them flying down. And this Valley of Jezreel is a rich plant, planting place. It's got fields and all the rest. It's a lot of crops growing. And, and this airplane descends, and it's dropping down and dropping down. And next thing you know, it just goes right into the crops. How in the world did that happen? It just went into the ground. There was no crash. There was no anything. And he said that there is an entire landing strips. It's one of the major northern outposts that defends Israel right there underneath, right, right out in front of Megiddo. And I thought, wow. You see these things. It is a strategic place in Israel today. It's part of their defenses. And if you take Megiddo, let's Megiddo, you, you take the edge of Israel and you have the Mediterranean Sea off to one side. You have the Dead Sea here. You have the Jordan River going down to the Dead Sea. I'm sorry, the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River going down to the Dead Sea. You have Jerusalem right here, two-thirds of the way down. Go straight above that and sort of over like a, a hooked dog's leg. And you find the entrance that comes in from Tel Aviv and it goes over to Megiddo, and it follows a valley that goes straight down into Jerusalem. And this is the best physical land route to attack Jerusalem. 
And in the end times, what we're finding, and you're going to see it tonight in Scripture, that as all the Satan brings people together and all the armies, they clear this valley and they want to come down and they are intending to take Jerusalem. And when Jesus Christ comes again, Jerusalem looks like it's down for the count and losing. Looks like they're going to be wiped out. There's going to be no more Israel. God's people are going to be off the face of the earth. They've just been returned from being scattered. And then Jesus comes and puts his feet on the top of the Mount of Olives. And there that mount opens up and the people escape. And then Jesus turns and you have the battle of Armageddon that takes place. This is the physical history of what's going to happen. That valley is 200 miles long. It's 10 miles wide. And the Bible says that the blood that flows from that battle will flow to the reins of the horses. You could take two different interpretations, well, I guess three. One, you could say it's just sort of a symbolic, it's pretty deep. You could say the horses fell down, it was the horse's reins, and so it was maybe six to eight inches of blood. That'd still be a lot of blood. Or you could be a literalist like most people and say it was four to six feet deep, 10 miles wide, 200 miles. That is a lot of blood. I don't care which way you take it. It's a lot of blood anywhere. And all the enemies of the world, all the Gentile powers are brought into this valley for this battle that we're going to talk about, which is the battle of Armageddon. One thing that we need to understand, that this is going to be the end of Gentile dominant rule on the earth. And when we get done here a little bit, uh, we're going to go back in the book of Daniel and understand that God showed Daniel the beginning of the, the high point of this, this Gentile power, and he let it expand its way until finally Jesus comes back and it's going to be the end of Gentile rule. It's not the end of Gentiles on the earth. But now Jesus is going to come back and he's going to establish the thousand-year millennial reign. And we're going to see a difference uh, in, in how the world, Jesus is going to rule, remember we said, with an iron, uh, a rod of iron. Okay, so laying some groundwork for us tonight for us to understand that. Turn with me, please, to the book of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation in chapter 12. Look at verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels, and prevailed not, neither was there found any more uh, their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. So here we find the battle in heaven transfers to earth. And so Satan now becomes dominant on the earth. Let's read on. And it says, um, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. And Satan was deceived, deceiveth the whole uh, world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuseth them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the end. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth. And this is what we're going after. I want you to see this last phrase. Here we are now, the, the new center of this this, this battle between right and wrong, between God and Satan, as it were. He has great wrath because he's been cast onto heaven. And he says, because he knoweth that he hath but a what? Short time. And that idea of a short time, it's a limited scope that Satan's got to work on this earth. And Satan has begun that reign and it's going to end with the battle of Armageddon. And he's going to be, by the time we're done, cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And Jesus is going to reassert himself. Look, if you will, please, to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Look at verse 14. 
And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one that sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand was a sharp sickle. Do you remember studying that? The sickle is a, is a picture of judgment upon the earth. And, and so the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, has come down and he's going to insert the sickle of judgment. And he's going to bring, as it were, a great big load of grapes and throw it in the wine press. This is what's happening here. Verse 15, and another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time is come. So here we pick up on that same idea. You have a short time, but now the time. Time's up. Time's up for your judgment, Satan. That's what we're talking about tonight. Armageddon. Time's up. Thy time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from all altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud, uh, uh, with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it in the great winepress of God's wrath. That's Armageddon. And the winepress was trodden without the city and the blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. That's 200 miles. And this is where we get that measurement from. And this is exactly what the, what the Valley of Jezreel and Megiddo and all the rest add up to, 200 miles by 10 miles by 4 to 6 feet deep. Go with me to chapter 16, please, if you will. Chapter 16, the book of Revelation. Look at verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast. So let's just stop here and think what's happening. Here's the vile judgments, bold judgments, vile judgments, they're both the same thing. And here is the sixth of those vile judgments going on. And in the middle of that sixth judgment, before the seventh vile, we find that this dragon and this beast and this false prophet all have this experience. Look at it. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Now here, gather, here's where we're at. Why do those spirits come out of those three wicked anti-trinity they go to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And he gathereth them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And so here the devil using these things three trinity of his, send forth a spirit out of their mouth, and those spirits cause a deceivableness to fall upon all the leaders and kings and people of the Gentiles' world that they would be drawn to this valley for this final judgment. We've studied this through, but we're trying to bring all the threads together for us tonight. It's sort of a symbolic how the spirits come out of their mouth out of like a frog. And they hop around the world and they're drawing all these people together. It's an end time dece deception from Satan allowed of God to bring forth this final judgment upon Satan himself and upon this world and upon this Gentile world. Look, if you will, please, uh, to Zechariah. Let's go to the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. 
Look at chapter 12. In Zechariah chapter 12, here we find uh, Israel in their time of being uh, scattered. And this is talking about their return and all the different purposes of God working in chapter 12, 13, and 14. But let's look at chapter 12 of Zechariah. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. That is not an insignificant verse, by the way. You want an interesting verse to go back and study that's sort of off track from prophecy, but lays the foundation. Look what it says there. The one that stretcheth forth the heavens. That's creation. That layeth the foundations of the earth, that forms the spirit within a man. This is that same spirit that tells us about this prophecy. Verse 2. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. So here we are at the end time, and Jerusalem is under attack by all the forces of the earth, and there, Jerusalem becomes a cup of trembling. It's, it's a place where it's about ready to be destroyed. It's battle is heated. And isn't it amazing in our lifetimes to see how Israel is now, I think it's rated the third or second highest military ranked uh, country in the world. Isn't that amazing? little teeny postage stamp of a country. And yet how powerful they are and how all these countries are coming from all over the earth. And Jerusalem is like a crucible of trembling and it's just this battle and they're determined to stomp out Israel and they're fighting for their life. That's what verse 2 is talking about. I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege both Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, that all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. And so Israel is going to become like a stone. It's a burdensome stone. It's going to be a stone upon which all the nations are brought to be judged. It's going to be a place where they're brought together. And this is not a happy place for the rest of the world. This becomes a stone of judgment. And in the book of Daniel, it talks about the stone, Jesus coming back, cut out without hands from the heavens and coming back and falling upon these Gentile nations. This is a burdensome stone. Look at verse 4. And in that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment. And the end of the verse, with blindness. Let's jump over, please, to verse 10. In verse 10. And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. They're going to realize they killed the Messiah. They're going to be in bitterness for the one they pierced. That's what that verse says. Verse 11, in that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as that morning of Haladrimon in the valley of Megiddo. It's Megiddo, we would think of it, just a different spelling of it. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, and the family of the house of Nathan apart. And it goes on. Look at verse chapter 13, verse 1. And in that day shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And we find that God's working in the hearts of Jerusalem and the Israelite people. And it's not just dealing with the, with the, with the Gentiles. God is dealing with Israel, and he is becoming their God. Look, if you will, please, now to chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses will be rifled, and the women ravished. 
And half of the city shall go forth in captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. This is a battle. The half of the city is carried off. The other half is staying strong, standing. Look at verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And so at this point, Jerusalem, you gather in the prophecy, down for a count, they have now realized the one they pierced was the Messiah. There's a repentance in their heart. They call out to God, and the Lord Jesus comes in the second coming, and he is going to defend his people. Look at verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave, that means divide, in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed to the north, and half of the valley toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. The people are going to be delivered by a great deliverance. The mountain will open up when Jesus touches it, and boom, the people are dismissed through it. And at the end of the verse, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Here is Jesus coming back. And if you mark in your Bible at the end of verse 5, this is the second coming. It's over in Revelation chapter 19. Jesus will come with his saints, the church. Look, if you will, please, in verse 7. And it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord. And once again, the only person that knows the timing of this is the Heavenly Father. It's a day that is known to God only. And yet we have all these clues and all these prophecies pointing toward this day, but only the door of the Lord knows of that day. Look at verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea in summer and in winter shall it be. And many people believe that after all the judgments of the different plagues and the vials and, and all the rest where one-third of the world and one-fourth of the world and so much, uh, 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 not economic, but environmental uh, damage has been done, that these living waters flow to heal the world. And the God, Jesus, brings this, this healing upon literally the land. Verse 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Here he's setting up his millennial reign. He shall be king over all the earth in that day and shall be one Lord and his name one. Everybody will worship the true God. Amen? Amen. And so this will be a day Jerusalem, Israelites, and the Gentiles will all submit themselves during this thousand-year reign. But it's all triggered by this event of Armageddon. Look on, if you please, in verse 11. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more uh, utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited, and there will be peace in Jerusalem is what we're looking at. Look at verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And so we find the whole world coming to worship the true God, Jehovah. Amen? And then we find a, a restoration of these things. Turn with me, please, to the book of Joel. The book of Joel. And Joel, I'd like you to look at verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. Joel 3, 2. And I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. The valley of Jehoshaphat is the valley of Megiddo, is the valley of Jezreel. Okay, all the same place. I will gather all nations, I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them there for my people. When it says I'll plead with them, the Lord's going to defend his people. And for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Look at verse 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. 
Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of, the, of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. This is taking farm equipment and turning it into war weapons. Let the weak say, I am strong. So strengthen your arms. Get weapons. Assemble yourselves. Come all ye heathen. Gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle. There is that sickle of judgment. Put in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. It's time. It's ripe. Come, get you down. For the press, that's that judgment, that wine press is full. The fats, we often will put a V in front of it. The vats, the fats overflow. For their wickedness is great. The wickedness of this earth is going to be judged. And verse 14 is one of those verses that preachers, including this one, preaches on from time to time. Would you read it out loud with me, please? If you will, we're in Joel 3.14. You ready? Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And here we have a place that man is being brought for the judgment of God. This is Armageddon. It's the valley of decision. It's the valley of defending his people. It's a place where the sins of mankind are judged and all the wickedness has come to full ripeness and this Gentile wicked agenda on the earth has all been brought to this valley and Jesus Christ has come in his fullness and they are going to be judged. Look at verse 15. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall be withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion. You get that idea of roaring. What is Zion? Zion is, is Jerusalem. He's going to roar out. He's going to bring, come forward in power out of Jerusalem. And he'll utter his voice from Jerusalem. What is he fighting with? His voice. The word of God. And here it is in prophetic form. He's going to roar out, and this will be his weapon. And the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be, and I love this word. We said it this morning, we say it again tonight. But the Lord will be the hope. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. The Lord is our hope. Listen, tonight we can talk about prophecy. We can talk about Armageddon. We can talk about judgment for sin. But our hope is Jesus. Without Jesus, you have no hope. Listen, Christians, we ought to sound the, the, the cry loud everywhere we go. Without Christ, you have no hope. Jesus has come. The hope of Israel, the hope of this world is the Lord Jesus. Take your Bibles, please, with me. And, uh, would you turn to the book of Daniel? The book of Daniel. In Daniel... Chapter 1, Daniel's taken captive. Chapter 2, Daniel has his first time that he interprets a dream. And in that dream of Daniel chapter 2, the king has a dream. He can't remember even what the dream was. He tries to get the Chaldeans and the astrologers to interpret a dream that he won't even tell them what the dream is. They say it's impossible. Daniel steps forth and he says, I can tell the dream. Give me a moment with my God. And God reveals to him, remember, a great big tall image, head made of gold, arms made out of silver, torso made out of brass, and as we come down to the legs and the feet, it turns to iron, and finally the ten toes, mixed iron with clay. This understand is important for us to understand why this was an, uh, given to Daniel. This entire image is the entire history of Gentile rule on the earth. From Nebuchadnezzar 
all the way to the revived Roman Empire, the little toes, the Antichrist running those little toes. That image is a picture of entirety of all the Gentile reign. At the end of that Gentile reign is going to come this rock out of heaven and smite it on its feet. So let's just go back and read that in this chapter, please, if you will. In Daniel chapter 2, let me get my reference here. Look at verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. The great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, and his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till a stone, that stone is Jesus' second coming, thou sawest till a stone was cut without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. That is Armageddon. Right there. Right there is where Armageddon's pictured. Then was the iron and the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. In other words, this big old Gentile empire is going to burn and crash and it'll just break into smithereens like you'd pick up straw and go it'll have, it'll have no more power upon the earth but what about the stone let's go on please it says in verse then when was the iron and the clay and the brass and the silver and the and the gold broken to pieces together became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is Jesus setting up his end time kingdom. And this is the millennial rule being set up when that stone grows to fill the whole earth. It's a picture of the dominant rule of the Lord Jesus upon the earth. This is what Daniel saw. Do you think Daniel understood all that? I'm sure he didn't. But isn't it amazing how the Lord has given to this? This is over two and a half, three millennium ago. The Lord has had a time clock coming. A short time, he says to Satan. There's a a clock coming. But one day for sure, that stone will smite the feet of the Gentile powers of the earth. Armageddon. And that's what we're reading tonight. I know it seems like we're going through a lot of scripture, but I want you to understand what Armageddon is. It is the end time, Gentile end. And the Lord Jesus now is going to set up his rule and his reign. Let's go, uh, if you will, please, with me to Daniel chapter 7. And I want you to look at verse 24. Daniel 7, look at verse 24. Daniel was given more vision. And in verse 24, I skipped a page. There we go. Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings. These are the final kings that come to battle in this final power that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first and he shall subdue the three kings. This is Antichrist that will rise up, knock out three of the end time kings, establish himself over the whole ten, and this is the one that becomes dominant. He's one of the three. Remember, we had the false prophet, we have the beast, and we have the Antichrist coming to rule here. Look at verse 25. And he that shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Wear out the saints. What does that mean? It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of um, unpleasant torture and fighting and death of saints and a lot of hard things for Christians and for the tribulation in this period of time. It says he shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, Satan actually thinks he can rewrite these events. And they shall be given into his hands until a time and times and dividing of times. That is symbolic 
times, times, and divide the last seven-year tribulation period. Seven years divided in a half, times, times, and dividing of a time. So this is that tribulation period. Verse 26, but the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven. What's he talking about? This is the end of that whole Gentile kingdom. Not just Antichrist, but it is the end of Gentile dominion. Shall be given to the and then it shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. This is a kingdom set up by the Lord, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. That's Jesus. This is the setting up of this millennial kingdom. Look at chapter 9, please, of Daniel. Chapter 9 of Daniel. Look at verse 24. Here we find a grid of time placed over all this. It's called the 70 weeks of Daniel. Could I remind you we touched on this in weeks past? The 70 weeks are determined on Jewish history. The big old tall statue is Gentile history. So you find these two running parallel, and so Daniel is told... Here's what's going to happen in Jewish framework. The Jewish 70 weeks do not see their church age. They're just not pictured in there. Look on, please, in verse 24. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, that's Jewish people, and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. That's to bring Jesus to the throne. So those 70 weeks are, are, are brought forward. Look at verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. And these are not little weeks, but these would be 49, seven sevens would be 49, and three score and two weeks. I'm not going to try to reinterpret this, but this clock is given to the Jews for them to understand. And eventually the thing that's important for us to get out of this is verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Out of those 70 weeks, 69 are explained, but one week is left out. And that one week is the tribulation period. Notice, for many, for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. For the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. A lot of big words to say this simply. That in the midst of that 70th week, that tribulation period, you're going to have Antichrist reveal himself, all the events of the book of Revelation, and then this will be determined by a final judgment called Armageddon that we're talking about tonight. Look at chapter 11, please. Chapter 11. Stick with me. Chapter 11, verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will. This is Antichrist. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that is determined shall be, de shall be done. What I want to draw out of that verse is that which is determined shall be done. God is in charge of this time chamber. Time chamber. This will be completed. God's plan has been determined. This great, big, all tall, uh, 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 colossal figure that we find here, Gentile, these 70 weeks determined. These all shall come until the determined has been finished that we find. Now I want you to look at chapter 12 for a moment. And here we find some interesting verses. The last part of Daniel's very vision before he's going to pass away and be off the scene. Daniel chapter 12, verse 9. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed 
till the end, till the time of the end. What does it mean when something's sealed up? That means they're settled, unchangeable. God's word is sealed till the end, till these things have been accomplished. Satan thinks he can rewrite God's history. You can't. Look at verse 10. And many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Let me remind you, the world will watch all these things coming to pass. Those without Christ as their Savior will have no understanding of all these things going on. But those that have the Holy Spirit in their heart and have the Word of God, you and I, as we would study Daniel and Joel and Zechariah and Malachi, and as we would study over in the book of Revelation, we will be given the wisdom of God to know that God is in charge and that he is not out of control. And listen, Christians, this ought to give us great confidence and hope in these tremulous times that we live in. But look at verse 11, please. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, that's in the middle, middle of the tribulation period, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand or one thousand two hundred and ninety days. Now, if you were to add up the last half of the book of, tri- of the tribulation, it should say one thousand two hundred and 60 days. But here, Daniel was told that it will be 1,290 days. 30 extra days. Look, if you will, in verse 12. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 1,305 and 30 days. Well, he said, what in the world is that talking about? Well, should be 1260. Instead, we find it's 1290. Now, blessed to the special group, you had 45 more days on, 1,335. And the only way we can explain this is that after the tribulation, and we have then this battle of Armageddon, and then God is going to begin to set up his kingdom, and he sets up all, these are days that are from that point at the end of the tribulation until the beginning of his kingdom starts is an extra 75 days in prophecy, and we're not explained anything more than that. It's just a hint. Somewhere from that point until that point, the days to be fulfilled. Now, with all that background, can you go to the book of Revelation, please, again, now, chapter 19. My fear is I've done nothing more than confuse you. I hope I've explained and uh, brought some understanding. Look at chapter 19, verse 17. The Lord has come, verses 11 through 16. Lord of lords, King of kings. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Here is that event. And all the birds are called. Isn't that strange? At the first one, there were special guests. Ever blessed are all the, the guests that come to this supper and see the marriage of, of, of the lamb to the bride. But here the birds are called. And why are the birds called? They're called to their supper. They are the guests. Look at it in verse 18. That ye may eat the flesh of the kings. And if you look at verse 18, mark your Bible, circle how many times it says flesh, 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 flesh. This is not symbolic. This is literal dead bodies. In one passage of scripture, I can't call the scripture right now, two-thirds of this army is destroyed. Two-thirds of the world is pretty much destroyed. One-third is left to join together with Israel to form a new world that we will live in and that they will live in at that period of time. Notice in verse 18, that ye may eat the flesh of the kings, 
the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, the flesh of them that sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Is there anybody that's going to escape this judgment? What's the answer? No. All the unsaved. And remember those three spirits hopping out of the mouth, drawing everybody into this valley, and they've been brought here, and they're going to die, and the blood's going to be this deep, and these rotting, stinking corpses, and the birds are called in. I was studying through this, riding down Clay Road, and right sitting on top of one of those light posts on there were three hawks sitting there just waiting for some dead thing to eat. I thought, hey, there's going to be a big supper one day, guys. And maybe you'll get called over to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. I don't know. But we've all seen the buzzards circling, haven't we? And the Lord says, I call you to this feast. Look at verse 19. And I saw the beast. Remember, there's three of the three persons of this unholy trinity. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And here it is, war, one against the other. They have drawn all the nations of the earth together. Verse 20, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that, was, that wrought miracles uh, was taken before him, which deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So two of the whole unholy trinity are now cast into the burning lake of fire for eternity. Look, if you will, at verse 21. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Well, this is that great battle, and next week we're going to go on in chapter 20, and we're going to find out there's one other person of this unholy trinity, and he is going to be cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And we're going to discuss the, the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and all these different things. And if you look at the end of verse 3, it says, Satan will be loosed for a little season, and there will be another battle against God. Again, Satan doesn't give up easy, does he? He doesn't realize he de he's a defeated foe. Let's gather ourselves together for a few thoughts then about Armageddon. This all starts with the return of the Lord. We find the destruction of the beast and the host at Armageddon. We find then the judgment of the nations as they then are made a great banquet for the birds that come together. And we then see Satan bound and put in the pit and the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, followed by a satanic revolt, which is then followed by a resurrection to stand before the judgment seat of the great white throne. And at the great white throne, those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ will join together with the unholy trinity that are now all going to be there. And you and I, if we don't know Jesus Christ, will be cast into that great fire, that lake of fire for all eternity. The burden upon any preacher's heart, after preaching as much as we have for weeks, is that you could sit here and see the trueness and the absoluteness of God and that his hand is one of love and that he cares for you and he sent his son and how even he, he wants to call you unto himself. But without Christ, he will, at that great judgment, cast you into that lake of fire too. That's a pretty strong thing. And I would call every one of us from the youngest to the oldest one of us tonight to ask a serious question to our heart. Where will you spend eternity? Is your name written in the book of life? Have you received the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ? The battle of Armageddon, the judgment of the great 
lake of fire and all that rest can be something that you observe from a distance. It doesn't have to be something that you participate in. But it's your choice. It's your choice. At the end of the book of Revelation, we're going to get there in a couple weeks, there will be a great earth judgment where this earth will be consumed with fire. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where we're going to dwell for eternity. And Jesus will be the light of that city. And will be known even as we are known and all the other things that we could preach tonight. But only if you know Jesus. Only if you know Jesus. God has revealed in the book of Revelation the revealing of his son to come in victory to redeem the earth. The question is, are you redeemed? Are you redeemed? I can't be redeemed for you. You can't be redeemed for me. I can't be redeemed for my children, and I can't be redeemed for my parents. I can only be redeemed for myself. And the end of the book of Revelation The Bible says the Lord invites at least five different times in that last chapter, come and drink. Come unto me. And the bride says, come. Come and drink of the waters of life freely. Listen, there's nothing you have to do other than to come and drink. Have you drunk of the waters of life? Have you been redeemed? Let's bow our heads, please. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that as we've looked into a lot of your scripture tonight about this end time battle, all the way back from when Satan was cast out of the war of heaven and transferred to this earth for this period of time and the clock runs down at Armageddon and finally at the judgment seat where we'll be cast into the lake of fire. I pray, Father, that you'd help each one of us to realize you are sovereign, you are God, And you are love, and you are good, and you are merciful. Father, perchance there's someone here that's been holding their heart away from you, unredeemed. Would you break their heart tonight? In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed. I wonder if there's someone here tonight who say, Pastor, I've been hearing you preach. I've been hearing about this. I've been knowing about Jesus for a long time. But tonight, I need to for sure, for real, receive him as my Savior. Pastor, I need Christ. Pray for me. Is there someone like that tonight? Slip their hand up. Pastor, I need Christ as my Savior. Pray for me. At the end of all eternity, when you stand before God, will you stand in Christ as one of his? Lord, I pray if there's anybody here without you, that tonight, Lord, they will not be able to sleep till they settle the fact that they need to come to you as their Savior. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Many years ago when I was in Bible college, I heard the testimony of Dr. Bob Jones III. He came to chapel one day and he said, young people, I'd like to tell you I grew up in a home where my father is an evangelist, my grandfather is an evangelist and started Bob Jones University. I've heard all the best preachers that could be brought to the platform of this great university that has Bible conferences and all the rest. And he said, and yet it wasn't until I was a teenager and one night I went to bed and I got under the domination to think, if I were to die, would I really go to heaven? And my religion, he said, I really had to face in my life was nothing more than the knowledge of what I've received from my family in the past, but it wasn't real. He said that night he came to a realization that if he died, he did not have Christ as his Savior. And he said he pulled the covers up over his bed, of his head, and he said, Lord, Let me get through to the light of the morning so I can receive you as my Savior. I don't know why he waited that long. But maybe that's you tonight. If there's a man like that that can grow up with that much preaching, 
and still almost go out into his life without Christ. It is totally possible that we have somebody here in this auditorium tonight that you're without Jesus still. I hope tonight, I'm not trying to curse you. I'm trying to lay on your heart a burden. If you died tonight, where would you go? If you didn't wake up tomorrow, where would you be? This is real. And Jesus is real. And he can save your soul. I challenge you to think about that tonight. And Ricky, I don't think we're going to sing a song tonight. I think we want to go home with that on our mind. May God work on your heart. And those that know the Lord, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's speak of Christ. Let's pick up those tracks and let's look for our opportunities. For there will be people that we know that live for eternity in this lake we discussed tonight. And that's real too. God bless you. You're dismissed.